Blog Talk Radio. June 21st, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and today I would like to discuss with you a whole bunch of schadenfreude, assuming that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Schadenfreude, as you may know, is enjoyment obtained from the trouble of others. And I have declared that schadenfreude is perfectly fine so long as it's about Obama's troubles, Obama's misfortunes, and he has had plenty of those this week. He has had a bad week in terms of Syria, his desire to wag the dog with respect to all the scandals that have been plaguing him by, you know, doing a total about face and just last week deciding that he wants to arm the so-called rebels in Syria. He's also had a bad week with respect to the Taliban. First, he is um, I think he may, you know he makes a fool of himself anyway by deciding to meet and negotiate with the Taliban but he was also supposed to be negotiating with Karzai president of Afghanistan at the same time and that has fallen apart totally and finally his speech in Berlin which in both form and matter is dreadful and we'll talk about that. Uh, he's got bad poll numbers, too, for whatever that's worth. He's down to 44%. And now whenever I see those poll numbers, I say, okay, yeah, okay, it's bad. But who are these 44% that still approve of Obama? Whatever. He's had a bad week. A bad week for him is a good week for us, and we're going to go ahead and enjoy that. I've got another story to talk about if there's time as well. You can join in on the discussion either in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, or you can call 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. If you do have a question, make sure to go ahead and hit the appropriate key as the menu tells you to do. Uh, Program announcement, exciting stuff. As you know, I was guest hosting for Tammy Bruce last week, and then the reason I didn't have a a show, I had some uh, illness in the family. It turned out it's fine. Everybody's okay, but something that had to be attended to. Um, When I guest hosted for her, I did two-hour shows. And moreover, when I guest hosted for her, and I was able to make the recordings of her you know, podcasts available only to supporters, I got a bunch of contributions. So a couple changes here. I'm going to go back to a two-hour show. Plus, I have upgraded my account at Blog Talk Radio such that you are no longer being pestered by audio and video ads. Yeah, there's still banner ads around wanting you to click on them and stuff like that, but there's no more audio and video ads. And this is all thanks to the generosity of people who have donated to the podcast. Now, the one thing you need to note, yes, I'm going to go back to two hours per week, but I'm going to move it earlier on Fridays. I'm going to do it noon Pacific time on Friday, starting next week. 
So next week, the show will start at noon Pacific time, go until 2, which will be starting at 3 p.m. Eastern time, going to 5 o'clock. So that's going to be starting next week. Thank you to those of you who have contributed to the podcast. If you would like to become a contributor and earn my uh, I don't know about eternal gratitude, but at least gratitude for quite a long time. You can go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. And at the bottom of any of the posts, including the most recent one that discusses this show, you'll see a link where you can go ahead and contribute. So thank you again, everyone. I am plowing the money back into the podcast. Uh, you know, upgrading at Blog Talk Radio is also going to get more exposure for the show. So it's going to get this message out to a wider audience. And what you've told me by contributing your hard, you know, the hard-earned money is that it's worth doing. So let's go ahead and dive in to our little schadenfreude episode here today and the first story is syria as everybody with half a brain suspected obama did this about face about syria and decided to go ahead and announce that he's going to arm the rebels as a way to get away from all of these scandals that have been plaguing him he is still when he goes and gives speeches having to answer questions about the nsa monitoring and all this kind of stuff but he's trying to distract us with this Syria thing. And how well is it going? It's not going so well. I've got a Wall Street Journal story dated June 29th, excuse me, not June 29th, uh, June 19th. And the headline is, Summit endorses Syria peace, averting fissure, but not war. And the essence of it is that there was a little agreement made between Vladimir Putin, David Cameron, and Barack Obama that, you know, they have some sort of a closing communique that they all signed, uh, that, that it's the leaders of the group of eight that includes them, and they said that the leading nations are committed to establishing a, quote, transitional governing body with full executive powers formed by mutual consent, end quote. Very vague sounding statement. And this is supposed to be this thing that avoids embarrassment for any of the leaders there. Why? Because there is a disagreement among this so-called group of eight. In particular, Putin supports Assad. Putin has been sending arms to Assad. He says... And there's a quote from uh, Putin here. He says, we are supplying a lawful government through lawful contracts. And so he's going to go ahead. You know, he, he says he's not ruling out further shipments to Assad. So how do they avoid, you know, this disagreement about wanting Assad there? Everybody else, they want Assad out. Any future government in Syria is supposed to be a government by them, which, of course, means that they're going to vote in some Islamic regime. But, oh, let's just not worry about that. But, you know, the bad guy Assad has got to go. And Putin doesn't agree with that necessarily. So how that's going to play out, how they ended up thinking this is, you know, nice, who knows. But here's the big problem, right? Uh, Obama, as well as the UK, and I believe also France, is on a, uh, you know, they're kind of on this idea that Putin, I mean, not Putin, Assad has used chemical weapons against his people. And if you remember, it was announced several weeks ago that there was evidence that Assad was using chemical weapons against the people of Syria. And remember, that was supposedly a red line for Obama. And several weeks ago, before the scandals came out, Obama didn't care about 
the red line anymore. And they were talking about, well, maybe now it's a pink line. And do we really want to arm the rebels in Syria anyway? Because maybe there's a whole bunch of Islamic terrorists among those rebels. Uh, there could be all these types of people. So in any event, uh, you know, there is still the U.S., the U.K., and France who are charging, according to this Wall Street Journal article, that Assad's forces have used chemical weapons. And then it says, Mr. Putin attributed equivalent horrors to the forces supported by the West. And I'm not surprised if you see the story that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, here's from Putin, quote, We have no evidence of the Syrian government having used such weapons. Continuing, he says, any decision to supply the opposition with arms based on unconfirmed accusations that Damascus has used chemical weapons can only destabilize the situation further. And that's Putin. Now, what's the problem then? Because, you know, Obama wants to kind of drag us into this little war with Syria, get everybody involved in that. And he's not going to be able to do that, at least not according to terms that he supposedly signs on to, which is, in other words, with the agreement of the U.N. Security Council. He can't do that unless everybody signs on to it. And all of the G8 members, the so-called G8, have veto power, and that includes Russia. As far as we know, Putin is ready to veto. So, yeah, Obama comes away from this, uh, meeting with this little statement about the transitional governing body, which, you know, I guess implies that it's going to be somebody other than Assad, but it doesn't say that it's going to be somebody other than Assad. So they think, oh, you know, we're avoiding embarrassment. But I think Obama's plenty embarrassed, and he's in a really bad pickle because he wants to get us involved in this formally out in the open. He wants to arm those rebels, and Putin has veto power. So we'll see how that works out for him. In the meantime, there's an L.A. Times story that says that we have already been training the Syrian rebels behind the scenes, secretly. This is a June 21st story today, this afternoon. And it was actually uh, brought to my attention by Bosch, who got it from hotair.com. CIA and U.S. military operatives have been secretly teaching Syrian rebels how to use anti-tank and anti-aircraft guns, the L.A. Times has learned. Says the White House refuses to confirm but says, quote, substantial assistance, end quote, is being provided. So that's probably true. Um, so we're already training them even though we're not supposed to be assisting them. Because, of course, Obama, I don't know how many times he spoke out against unilateral action by the United States. We're supposed to have you know, the signature of everybody else around the world on a permission slip to go ahead and conduct any war. But no, we're training these guys already. So there's that. Um, another article that is inconvenient for our president in his quest to wag the dog with Syria is Wednesday, June 19th from Reuters. It says, Syria's Islamists, I don't like that term, but, you know, bear with it here. Syria's Islamists seize control as moderates dither. And they go and they talk about one particular story, uh, the pattern of which was repeated all over the country, in which there was this moderate group called Garaba al-Sham, 
um, and it was a, you know a moderate rebel group, and then it was defeated by a, rav- a rival bl- uh, band of revolutionaries who are so-called hardline Islamists, which just means jihadists. Um, and it says that the jihadists move against them at the beginning of May. After three days of sporadic clashes, Omar's more moderate fighters, accused by the Islamists of looting, caved in and dispersed. So basically all over the country, the worst of the worst of the worst are the ones that are in control of you know the rebel forces and the so-called moderates are out of there. So that's pretty inconvenient, I would say. Um, now what's going on in terms of uh, other opposition that Obama has? Well, there is this poll. There's this matter of a public opinion poll. 70% of Americans are opposed to Obama getting involved in Syria. 70% of Americans, according to a Pew Research Center poll that was conducted from June 12th to the 16th, found that 70% of Americans were opposed to the U.S. and its allies sending arms to anti-government troops in Syria. You know, I, I was quipping on uh, my page, Don't Let It Go Unheard, on on Facebook, that basically Obamacare was shoved down the throats of the American people when a majority of Americans did not want it. Now we've got 70% of Americans don't want something. I mean, you know, Obamacare was the warm-up, and, you know, here's Obama just flexing his muscles, essentially, just saying, okay, I got the stretch goal now. I'm going to go for something that 70% of Americans are opposed to and see if I can get away with that. There's only another problem, which is that at least with respect to this, there seems to be substantial and potentially effective opposition to Obama amongst our representatives in the Senate and I think also in Congress. I've got uh, another Wall Street Journal article. This one's dated today, early, early this morning. It says, in Congress, concern about Army Syria's rebels. Says opposition to the Obama administration's plans to arm moderate Syrian rebels, haha, assuming you could find them, uh, flared Thursday on Capitol Hill as a bipartisan group of senators pushed a bill to block any U.S. intervention and lawmakers questioned the new White House strategy. Senators Tom Udall, who was from Mexico, uh, Chris Murphy, and Senators Mike Lee and Rand Paul, so you got two Democrats, two Republicans, introduced legislation banning the Pentagon and intelligence agencies from funding operations in Syria. Ted Cruz also questioned the decision to arm the rebels in a speech on the Senate floor. Good for Cruz. He says, quote, President Obama needs to explain why arming the Syrian rebels is now worth our intervention when it wasn't two years ago, end quote. Now, of course, he's answering this rhetorically. He's saying, look, Obama's doing the wag the dog. He is embarrassed trying to distract from these scandals. Why else would a supposed person who's trying to get rid of all of our intervention overseas want to get involved like this? Uh, Secretary of State John Kerry supposedly briefed selected groups of lawmakers on Thursday and was slated to be joined by a CIA agency deputy director, Michael Morell, but Mr. Cruz had not received a briefing. Hmm, gee, could it be because Ted Cruz would be able to see right through John Kerry and whatever story he was telling at the behest of Barack Obama? Who knows? 
Um, House members also expressed concern about Obama's decision last week to reverse course and arm rebels. Notice this timing, how convenient this timing is. You know, he's totally, totally screwed Obama because weeks ago the story came out about the so-called chemical weapons and he, oh, not so fast. And he was uh, having lawmakers push around the hill, you know, let's not get involved. And then suddenly with all these scandals breaking out, then he says, oh, yeah, now I want to get involved. Um, Here's one of the representatives in the House, a Democrat from California. His name's Adam Schiff. Quote, I have deep concerns about getting involved with lethal support. And he's a member of the House Intelligence Committee. He says, quote, I think uh, there will be enormous pressure if we get involved militarily to get further and further involved in what will ultimately be a proxy fight with Russia and Iran. End quote. Yes, that's what it looks like. I mean, that's what Putin made clear this week. So I would say Obama is in big, deep trouble. Let's go see what people in the chat room have to say about this. It says, uh, this is M082844. It says, it's not surprising that we're training the rebels. One of CIA's function is to train and organize coups. Okay, that's fine. Um, but maybe we'd want to do it in a place where there would actually be something to win and gain on behalf of the interest of the United States, which I don't see that there is here. And I think a lot of people don't see that there is, because if we try to organize a coup here, it looks like the worst of the worst of the jihadists are going to be the ones who are in control. Um, You know, and whatever that meaningless statement was that they signed on to, right? It says, uh, Transitional governing body with full executive powers formed by mutual consent. I mean, who are the people who are consenting? Whoever presents themselves as the rebel leader, how good are we at picking out the good guys versus the bad guys over there? You know, there was the picture of McCain a couple weeks ago. McCain had no idea who he was having his photo taken with, and it turned out it was some bad guys. Uh, Larry in the chat room says... I think we have been helping and arming the rebels for quite some time, and Obama is trying to get ahead of the curveball before it all comes out. That could be as well. So he's trying to say, okay, let's see if we can make it official before all of it comes out, because I think everybody who is a leaker right now is getting emboldened by the fact that there's all these scandals. And if the media continues to be sympathetic with the release of all this information that is detrimental to Obama and his administration, you could see something like this coming out as well. And as a matter of fact, we saw it in the LA Times. The LA Times is reporting that we've been training them. Uh, you know, there there is there was some discussion in some of these articles that I saw about whether we want to just give them anti-tank stuff or whether we also want to give them anti-aircraft stuff. And of course, if we give them anti-aircraft stuff, it gets a lot messier. Of course, anti-tank stuff is still pretty bad if, if if it got in the wrong hands. But anti-aircraft stuff is even more disastrous probably, you know, because of uh, the, maybe it's easier to transport. Who knows? Um, but it could do a lot more damage, I think. Um, pragmatism here. Oh, uh, M in the chat room says, you can call me Mo, so that's good. Uh, yeah, not not good at all. Not a good sign at all that he's doing this. And And, yeah, he is having a very, very bad week. Uh the leaks are coming out. The you know, maybe he did as Larry hypothesizes in the chat room there, maybe he did try to do this as a way to get ahead of the leaks. The leaks are already coming out and moreover, 
he is getting pushback from Russia, a member of the G8. He had his little discussion with Putin and Putin, you know, I saw these headlines this week that Putin's lecturing him about privacy and lecturing Obama about this and that and the other thing. And whenever, you know, Vladimir Putin, someone from Russia who basically put himself in perpetual power through all kinds of devices is having to lecture our, you know, our president about citizens' interest in privacy. That's just pretty darn funny. But he is opposed to this. He has veto power in the UN. So we may, may never have permission. And then Obama is going to be revealed as having acted unilaterally. And imagine all of the little clips that we can play here about, uh, you know, Obama acting unilaterally, even though he's criticized, you know, criticized Bush for the same darn thing. Flycatch in the chat room says, we the Americans are the losers for having this person representing us as the citizens. Yes, that's true. That's definitely true. And that's why I say schadenfreude today is good because it's against Obama. Obama, first of all, I don't think he represents us. You know, he really doesn't represent us. Um, He is representing himself. And moreover, his interest, as far as anybody can tell, is to destroy all the great things that America stands for. He is doing his egalitarian agenda across the board, across the world. He's pushing an egalitarian agenda. And it's to the detriment of the United States. And we'll see more of that in his speech as well. But yeah, he is, he's definitely eaten it with respect to Syria. I'm looking forward to see what the Senate vote is on this new legislation that's supposedly going to ban the Pentagon, uh, Pentagon and the intelligence agencies from funding operations in Syria. Now, if it's banned and then it's already happened, I wonder how they're going to address that. It's, it's just going to be very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think I think if I was John Kerry, I think I would probably bypass Ted Cruz if I was briefing select groups of lawmakers. Ted Cruz seems to be one of the few people who has his head entirely screwed on right amongst politicians. You know, again, we're talking about politicians within a context, but I would at this point put support behind him before even Rand Paul or uh, the other guys. So I would definitely do that. Flycatch in the chat room says, nothing's going to happen to Obama because he is the Teflon president. And yes, I mean, that may be true. He's going to live out his term. What I'm looking for is I'm looking for the 2014 elections that will further cripple his ability to get legislation through. We still don't know what's going to happen with this immigration bill at the hands of Boehner. Uh, An immigration bill that is semi-decent is something that we should support. But more and more evidence is coming out that this particular immigration bill is full of really nasty, yucky stuff, including I went to... um, Dana Loesch's Twitter thread, and there's all kinds of details that she puts there about the Department of Homeland Security having all sorts of discretion to let in people who don't meet the objective criteria for good immigrants to the United States. So there might be stuff that is really going to put us in, in, actually in danger, uh, not just the weird stuff like what, you know, Limbaugh's been talking about a bunch of garbage on the immigration bill. You know, oh, it's an incentive to hire illegals over others because of Obamacare, blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, he says that these people aren't skilled. And, I, you know, you can't have it both ways. Either these people aren't very skilled and they're not that good and they're not attractive employees or they are attractive employees because of Obamacare. I, 
you know, he he says he's for immigration, but he doesn't tell you exactly what he wants. It 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 just it does get me. So I'm not so for that. But you know, it, it looks like this bill is just padded with a whole bunch of non-immigration stuff and a lot of discretionary power for people that we don't want to have it. And I think that's going to uh, be a big thing to see whether he's going to be able to shove that down throats of American people. I'd actually like to see some polls on that. I don't know if anybody in the chat room has got access to a poll as to whether citizens are in favor of or against the current immigration bill, so far as anybody can understand it. As far as I understand it, there are parts of the immigration bill that haven't even been made public yet. The parts of the bill that have to do with whether we're going to secure the border have not even been made public. So they've got a ways to go before people can actually say that we've been able to see this bill and consider it in full. Uh, now, Mo in the chat room says, which ones fly? Someone calls himself Flycatch. Don't know if you can see him or not. Um, don't know. Uh, Flycatch says, our white politicians are afraid to be called racist, so he'll never be impeached. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think it just depends on how much bad stuff comes up. Surely there should be a select committee. Ron Rotunda, who I interviewed for the Tammy Bruce show, he's very fair-minded, and he has called for a select committee to uh, you know, be impaneled, basically, and he worked on the Watergate investigation. So I think he knows about the timing of these things. And he says, come on, it's really time. There's enough going on that objectively we should be looking into it. And he says, look, clear his name if that's where the evidence takes you. Clear Obama's name. But I, I don't think it's going to be clear. That's just that's just me. So let's go on to story number two in schadenfreude week for Obama. And it is having to do with the talks between United States Taliban and the Afghan president Karzai that were supposed to be happening and have now completely fallen through. Uh, the story that I have again from Wall Street Journal, uh, updated June 19th is what it says. The headline, Afghan leader halts talks with U.S. and Taliban. It says Afghan president Hamid Karzai suspended talks with the U.S. about a long-term American military presence and pulled his envoys from planned peace negotiations with the Taliban on Wednesday, protesting the unexpectedly high-profile opening of a Taliban office in Qatar a day earlier. So what the hell are they talking about? This is what they're talking about. The Taliban says we have to open an office in some sort of, I guess, neutral location to hold these talks between whoever the U.S. representatives are, Karzai, and whoever the Taliban representatives are. So they open this office in Qatar. And the only problem is the title that they gave to this office in Qatar. Uh, it says the Taliban flew their white flag in the presence of senior Qatari officials when they had the you know, christening ceremony, the opening ceremony for this office in Qatar. Um, it says their mission displayed a plaque with the words, Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. And that was what the country was called when it was under Taliban rule. So you could see if Karzai is supposedly going to go have these talks with the U.S. and the Taliban at this office in Qatar, and the plaque at the entrance of this office basically says 
you must acknowledge that we are the true rulers of Afghanistan, it's not going to fly, right? So Karzai is out. Uh, as far as I know, even though the, la the last update that I saw is that there has now been a toned down presentation of the office in Qatar by the Taliban, but nonetheless Karzai is not going. Now, why does Karzai have to go? And why does the U.S. care, if, you know, if Karzai go? First of all, we're upset that the U.S. is negotiating with the Taliban anyway. Who are the Taliban? The Taliban are the people that harbored Osama bin Laden, that hid him from us. These are not good guys. These are the guys that have infiltrated the Afghan forces and have done the so-called friendly fire attacks both on the, quote, you know, more moderate, the ones who don't want to kill us, Afghanis, but more importantly, all sorts of killing of our soldiers in the situations where we're supposedly training the Afghanis to take care of themselves. But, um, you know, so, so, so there is that, you know, why are we talking to the Taliban? Well, one thing is there is one soldier who has been held by the Taliban since 2009, one U.S. soldier. So uh, what I'm hearing is that they believe, the Taliban believes, that in exchange for the release of one U.S. soldier, that we are supposed to release four high-level Taliban officials, including one who has direct connections to Osama bin Laden or had direct connections to Osama bin Laden, um, you know, they, they they want all these four guys to be released from Guantanamo in exchange for one, watch Obama do it, watch these four guys disappear, watch these four guys be involved in attacks against United States again. That'll probably happen. So there's that. Why are we talking to these guys? What do we have to gain from talking to these guys? The only talking to these guys should be talking at these guys. We should never be talking with these guys. We should be talking at them. And we should be telling them, look, you have assisted people who have conducted attacks against Americans. We will not tolerate this. If we find that you have anything to do with it again, we're going to bomb you to smithereens. Uh, here, here's one show of our force just to tell you that we mean business. Go away. We don't want to talk to you anymore. Goodbye. I mean, we, we you know, negotiating with these people, these are the worst of the worst, the Taliban. Um, by the way, if you if you wanted just a few little laughs at the expense of the Taliban, there was a little game going on on Twitter last night. You can follow me, Amy Peakoff, on Twitter. And it was tagline, Taliban hit songs. Why it was Taliban hit songs, I don't know. We just wanted to make fun of the Taliban. Uh, one of them was an actual song title that I put out there. I don't want your freedom. If you remember that song from, um, huh, what's the one with George Michael? Um, Wham, right? That was the song of Wham, I Don't Want Your Freedom. But that's actually a real song. But that's really what these people say, I don't want your freedom. They don't want freedom. They want Sharia law. Um, another one is La Bamba, spelled B-O-M-B-A. Ha ha. Uh, another one, To All the Girls I've Stoned Before. Yeah, that is the Taliban. Uh, another Taliban hit song. Remember the song by Neil Diamond, They're Coming to America? Instead, it's We're Coming for America. And how about this one? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, I don't know if it was Depeche Mode. Just Can't Get Enough. How about Just Can't Kill Enough? And then finally, uh, if you remember the song by Fleetwood Mac, Go Your Own Way, Go Muhammad's Way. Okay, so those are the Taliban hit songs. These are the bad guys. 
these are the real guys who believe in jihad, who believe in Sharia law, and supposedly we're negotiating with them. And yes, they put their little plaque out that shows exactly what their agenda is. They want to be in charge of Afghanistan again and make all of our efforts there completely and utterly worthless. Karzai right now is saying no. Um, why do we need to speak to Karzai? That's the next point. Why do we need to speak to Karzai? Why is it so important to get Karzai into these discussions with the United States and the Taliban? It is because the withdrawal that Obama is promising us, the withdrawal that he's promising to us, is really not going to happen if he has anything to say about it. Yes, that's really true. So here I am at the Wall Street Journal article, again, updated June 19th, headline, Afghan leader halts talks with U.S. and Taliban. And towards the end of the article, it said that Mr. Karzai had marked on Tuesday the formal handover of security responsibilities from the U.S.-led coalition to Afghan forces who are taking the lead as U.S.'s international troops prepare to go home by the December 2014 deadline. But the security discussions between the U.S. and Afghanistan would provide for a limited number of military trainers and counterterrorism forces to remain in the country. So these were, this was the reason we were going to have discussions. We were still, even though Obama is going to brag and say, I am brought the troops home and the war is over, just like he does with Iraq right now, and Iraq is a mess, right? But he still wants to, very quietly, have a limited number of trainers and counterterrorism forces. Now, how have these military trainers been treated by their Afghani hosts? So far, very badly. We've seen a whole lot of them. As soon as they're turning over the weapons, you know, the issuing the weapons to the new police forces in Afghanistan, these Afghanis will just turn around and shoot their trainers. Uh, it doesn't always happen. It's happened enough to be a concern. And if you say, okay, you're going to scale down and get rid of most of the forces, and then you're going to leave these trainers, just you know, a small handful of trainers and counterterrorism forces and expect them to be safe in any way, shape, or form, it is Benghazi all over again. But that's what Obama wants to do. He right now at this point is not getting his wish in terms of an agreement to be able to do that because Karzai is not coming to the table. Yay, Obama's not getting his wish. So this is good for, from our perspective, it's good from our perspective because Obama's wish is horrible um, in this regard. It's it's something that is not good for our troops. I don't think it's good for us. Again, we shouldn't be talking with these guys. We should be talking at them. We should get out of there. Just give them a warning. Anything ever happens again, we bomb you to smithereens. And then we'd be out of there. Um, now, Flycatch in the chat room is talking about Wars are all about natural resources, and Afghanistan has rare earth minerals and all this stuff. Um, I don't think any of that is true for Obama. That would be too logical and too self-interested in, in terms of American interests for Obama. I just I just don't even see that happening as at all. Um, now, in terms of my little tweets about the songs. 
Let me see if I'm getting any other suggestions of the of the songs there. Uh, conservatives who I guess like those. Uh, Larry Nelson said I would give them to Highway to Hell, so that would be good. Highway to Hell would be perfect. And other discussions about the the natural resources again. If if this move if this war was about natural resources, it would be like when they said George W. Bush's war was about oil. If only it were actually about oil. If if that were really the thing, boy, that would be so much better. The Iraq War was titled Operation Iraqi Freedom, supposedly about giving them freedom to have democratic elections and the type of government that they wanted. What type of government did they want and did they set up? One that has Sharia doctrine all over it. So let's uh, wrap up our schadenfreude episode this week with our last big story, which is President Obama's remarks near the Brandenburg Gate in Germany. It's so funny because if you go to whitehouse.gov, it says that the remarks were at the Brandenburg Gate, but supposedly it wasn't right at the Brandenburg Gate. It was a little ways away, and they didn't let him do it, or I don't know what. But here he is, uh, President Obama, giving this speech. Now, a lot of people have made a lot of the fact that it was a very, very small audience, about 4,500 I saw 6,000 in one report, but I think there was only about 4,500 actually invited. It was invitation only. Uh, Why was it invitation only? Maybe because of security concerns, maybe because of the capacity of the little area where he was speaking, but also because I think he knew that he would never get anywhere near the audience that he got back in 2008 when he was merely running for president and all these people overseas thought, oh, he's going to be so great, he's going to be so wonderful. He had 200,000 people supposedly at that point in time. 4,500 this time was it. There were some people interviewed who had gone to the speech in 2008 and who said that they wouldn't have gone this time anyway, even if uh, it had been open to the public in part, large part, because of the scandals that are coming out, the NSA scandals. Now, I do see that there's a call there on the switchboard. If you do have a question or comment, go ahead and click a little button. I think it's the one button or something that you say you've got a question or a comment. The phone number, if you want to call in, is 760-888-5817. So let's go ahead and talk about this speech a little bit. This speech was said to be a disaster and Uh, It was even acknowledged to have been not as good as Obama's other speeches by Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews, who is Mr. Obama sends a tingle up my leg. I love him. Obama has never, ever done anything wrong. Didn't like this speech, or at least the way that it was delivered. But I would say, just from my perspective, it was a disaster both in form and matter. But let me just give you a couple lowlights from the speech. And I'm actually going to try to play you a little audio clip from it, but it's going to be in a sort of barbaric way because I do not have a uh, mixing board and because the speech is, I think, 28 minutes long. So I wasn't able to get a uh, an MP3 conversion of it because the conversion engine that I have goes only up to 20 minutes. So I'm going to just play you a little clip from it in a second. But at the beginning, I thought it was funny to notice that he says, uh, he says, I bring with me the enduring friendship of the American people. He's talking to all the Germans. He says, as well as my wife, Michelle, and Malia and Sasha. So it's the American people and 
So they're apart from the American people? I mean, as well as? I don't know. A little bit of a, a misspeaking there. He quoted right at the beginning when he talks about the history of the German people as being a renowned land of, quote, poets and thinkers. He Right away, he says, among them, Immanuel Kant. And he says, Immanuel Kant, who taught us that freedom is, quote, the unoriginated birthright of man, and it belongs to him by force of his humanity, end quote. Now, what did Kant mean by freedom exactly? In some contexts, Kant meant that we have free will and that we should exercise our free will in order to do our duty. Uh, what we do know is that Kant in ethics thought that the only right thing is to do duty for duty's sake. If you did anything out of self-interest, um, or if you did anything basically apart from duty, for any motive other than pure duty for duty's sake, it did not count as a moral action. Actions are moral only when done completely out of duty. Uh, the motive of the duty has to be sufficient to determine the action in Kant's language. Duty is king for Kant, and it's freedom, it's your free will that makes it so that you're able to act apart from self-interest and in accordance with duty. So, you know, I'd have to see more of Kant. I haven't read any Kant for a long time, but, you know, who knows? Maybe that might be the thing that Obama really loves. It's It's the freedom, the ability to act out of duty. That's so awesome. Uh, in other parts of the speech, though, he sounded like somebody who really wasn't Obama, right? He's talking about Berlin. He's talking about the city that was divided into East and West Berlin, where East Berlin was a communist dictatorship and people were risking their lives and often dying trying to escape from the East to the West through the gate at the wall. And he said, the fate, this is quoting from Obama's speech, he said, the fate of this city came down to a simple question. Will we live free or in chains? Under governments that uphold our universal rights or regimes that suppress them? Okay, still he's sounding pretty vague there, but then listen to this. He says, in open societies that respect the sanctity of the individual and our free will, or in closed societies that suffocate the soul? He says, as free peoples, we stated our convictions long ago. As Americans, we believe that all men are created equal. And then he says, with the right to life, liberty, and he did say, the pursuit of happiness. His voice changes a little bit when he says that. You can go ahead and watch his speech and, and see what I mean. And then he says, and as Germans, you declared in your basic law that, quote, the dignity of man is inviolable, end quote. Now, I'm sure that Obama would prefer that our basic documents, our founding documents, contained something as vague and abstract as the dignity of man is inviolable. Because then you could put all sorts of things as required to uphold the dignity of man, which are all the sorts of things that Obama is interested in having government do. But basically throughout the entire speech, he talks about peace and justice. What is required for peace and justice? And You'd say, well, okay, isn't peace and justice, it's kind of redundant? You know, I mean, he talks about it as if it's, you know, uh, a burger with a side of fries. It's like peace with a side of justice. But I would say if you have justice, if you have true justice, which is according to each man that which he deserves, right? If you treat people according to their merit, if you have true justice, then you'll have peace, right? But we have not had true justice 
internationally, domestically for a long time. And it is starting to show. And, you know, this idea that our rights are being respected. I mean, when you listen to Obama and he talks about, are we going to live free or in chains? And this is the man who shoved Obamacare down our throats. It is truly revulsifying. And then, of course, he's the one now with, you know, the NSA and every day on Drudge. I mean, you can't even keep up with the headlines now about all the new stories of these uh, even broader secret powers that the NSA has to listen to your phone calls and this and that. Of course, for me, you know, if you want to know what I want to say about Barack Obama, you just listen to my podcast. You don't have to listen to my phone calls. But, you know, I, I got an email from Skype and Skype says, Oh, well, we now have video messaging. So you can have not only instantaneous video chats on Skype, but you can leave video messages for friends, family, loved ones, whoever. Um, no, thank you. Because Skype, we're told through all these stories, is one of the people who's been really cooperating with the government, one of the companies that's been doing that. So no. Um, but I digress. Let's go back to peace with a side of justice. According to Obama, what does peace with a side of justice mean? It means, well, we're going to get rid of all the nukes. So, yeah, no peace in the world until we just get rid of all those nukes. Ha ha. Um, He wants to get it down to a third of what we have or something. There's a lot of environmental stuff. You know, United States, we got to do better. You and Europe have, you know, taken the lead on this issue. Of course, we have to invest in all sorts of things, invest in agriculture. He's saying that now because of the farm bill, I'm sure. He wants that huge slab of pork to be passed through both houses so it can come on to his desk and he can sign that disgusting thing. Um, You know, he wants to invest in education and technology and infrastructure and all that stuff. But this is his thing. He talks about empowering people. Right. Um, He says uh, our efforts have to be about more than just charity. He says they're about new models of empowering people to build institutions, to abandon the rod of corruption, to create create ties of trade, not just aid, both with the West and among the nations. They're seeking to rise and increase their capacity, et cetera. I think he misspoke there. And, And actually, his misspeakings are in the speech and I'm going to play you a a clip here in a second but what he talks about towards the end he says the government exists to serve the power of the individual and if you parse that right I mean what is what do governments truly exist to do a proper government exists to protect our rights which means to protect us from the initiation of force and you might say, okay, well, government exists to serve the individual. That could be a shorthand. You might say, well, we'll serve how? Protect your rights, protect you from the initiation of force. Okay, fine. But an Obama speechwriter is not content with that. And probably Obama would never stand by and accept that government exists to serve the individual. No, government exists to serve the power of the individual, therefore means to empower the individual. We can't empower the individual unless we have huge redistributive government programs, massive government programs to empower all of us. Um, You know, other language that's revealing towards the end, he says we have to be vigilant in safeguarding our own freedoms. And then he says, but also to extend a hand to those who are reaching for freedom abroad. No. Proper foreign policy? 
we just need to safeguard our own freedoms at home. And, you know, this idea that you say, but also do this other thing. He knows that those other missions, especially these missions in the Middle East, this extending our hand to those who are reaching for freedom abroad, Syria, Egypt is a huge problem for him, according to headlines, too. We could have done a whole thing on that. Uh, this this is not in our interest. This is not part of safeguarding our freedoms, to use his language. This is not part of protecting the rights, the security of the American people at all. The American people, as well as Michelle Obama and Barack Obama's daughters. You know, they're not American people? I don't know. Let me play you a clip, if I can do it, without doing total radio faux pas here, but... On my uh, on my laptop computer, I have exactly the place queued up that I want to play for you, and it's a little bit over a minute of Obama talking to the people in Berlin. So let's see how well you can hear this. He's talking about basically we have to get out of the mindset of wars without end and what that involves, and then see what you catch in the delivery of the speech. Okay, let's see. We must move beyond the mindset of perpetual war. And in America, that means redoubling our efforts to close the prison at Guantanamo. It means... It means tightly controlling our use of new technologies like drones. It means balancing the pursuit of security with the protection of privacy. And I'm confident that that balance can be struck. I'm confident of that, and I'm confident that working with Germany, we can keep each other safe while at the same time maintaining those essential values for which we fought for. Our current programs are bound by the rule of law, and they're focused on threats to our security, not the communications of ordinary persons. They help confront real dangers, and they keep people safe here in the United States and here in Europe. But we must accept the challenge that all of us in democratic government... Okay, okay, I think that's enough torture for anybody. Blah. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I was told the soundbite sounded okay, so that's really good. I don't think that I want to use this as my uh, final method of playing soundbites for you guys, but actually if it works well, I'm just holding up my little Mac laptop to my microphone here. So maybe if I've got good clips, I can just continue to do this and not confuse my computer with another piece of equipment, but we'll see. Uh, so a couple things out of there. First of all, you notice he says he wants to close Guantanamo. Uh, he says that the use of drone technology is tightly controlled, whatever in the world that means. Um, then, of course, balance privacy with security, this balancing idea. Listen, there is a right place to draw these lines and the right place to draw these lines is consistent with the fourth amendment minus as i've talked about it a million times that so-called third-party doctrine i will not repeat that again that is what you need to get rid of in order to get the quote balance right again we need to go back to a pure interpretation of, of the fourth amendment in all these contexts and that will protect us fine uh, now i loved when he says for which we fought for if you're going to be grammatically correct, and, and these days people are not grammatically correct anymore, and I'm fine with that. If you want to end your sentence with a preposition, 
I'm fine with that. I'm not going to, you know, chide you about it. But decide, right? Either end it with a preposition or don't, but don't have the preposition in both places. He said, for which we fought for. That can't have been in his written remarks, okay? Um, then, of course, there was the issue of uh, the, the security programs that we have, the NSA focusing on the threats, not on ordinary Americans. What the hell does focus mean? That doesn't mean that they're not gathering up all that metadata about all of us without a warrant, without particularized suspicion. Of course, it doesn't mean that. This fo- focus is just a bogus vague word. But my favorite is when he said, here in the United States, and then two seconds later, and here in Europe. Did you catch that? He said, here in the United States and here in Europe. And if you didn't catch it, you can go to whitehouse.gov. And as I printed out, I I just, you know, kind of copied and pasted the whole text and then plopped it into a Word document and printed it. And it came out with no paragraph breaks or anything. It was really disgusting looking. But if you go then to the bottom of, I believe, page four of six, it actually has in the printed text of the remarks, keep people safe here in the United States and here in Europe. Ha! It's just, I mean, he, he's talking about, you know, he's in Germany, all the German people and the blah, blah, here in the United States. He, I guess, can't talk without a teleprompter. That's all I think. Let's actually listen to a little clip about Chris Matthews trying to explain. And again, you can go. I watched his whole speech. And then I went back and I decided what little clip I wanted to take out. So I actually watched parts of it more than one time. And it's torture. But if you want to see Barack Obama worse than usual, definitely go watch that speech. And here's Chris Matthews trying to explain why Obama screwed up. Active glass, Chris. What is that? What is that? Well, I think a lot of the problem he had today was the uh, the the, the uh, late afternoon sun in Berlin. I think ruined his use of the teleprompters, and so his notes. usual dramatic windup was ruined. I think he was really struggling with the text there. But on the more, I think the headline is going to be balance on on surveillance and and privacy. I think no matter yeah, what. Yeah, so, uh, that that clip cuts off there. So you know, oh, let's just explain away the fact that Obama really messed up his speech. And what does this mean? I mean, this means to me that he doesn't own what is in his speech. He doesn't own it. And there were many, many times in the talk where, you know, he he wasn't putting the emphasis on proper words because you knew that he was just reading. He wasn't doing very well at all. So um, so it was really terrible. Now, I was, I was just told that that sound clip by Chris Matthews wasn't loud enough. So I'm sorry about that. And I, my future sound clips, I will go ahead and play. Now, that one I loaded onto the Blog Talk Radio uh, studio and played it from there. And it sounded worse than the one that I played the so-called barbaric way on my laptop while I held my laptop up to the mic. So go figure. Um, Yeah, Joe in the chat room said, hold the laptop closer. Joe, that wasn't the chat room. So anyway. um, Yeah, but Chris Matthews, you know, this this idea, he's just going to go ahead and, and explain away Obama, that, you know, Obama just is good at giving speeches at teleprompters. If all you can do is give a speech off of a teleprompter, that is just really, really sad. Somebody who is the president of the United States should have had experience giving speech year after year after year, and he should always have a written text in front of him where it's printed appropriately, he's read it, so he's familiar with it, and so that he can deliver it in 
a convincing way. I mean, this is this is a huge skill. Um, you know, I, I used to talk with Leonard Peikoff about this, and he at one point had to learn how to deliver from a written text, be able to look at your audience, and basically deliver a written text as if you're thinking of it for the first time. That is a major skill, but it's something that a good leader should have. And he's obviously been relying on that teleprompter for too long, as, as many people do. They rely on all this horrible technology. So, so people, what do you think? about Obama's week. I think he has bombed horribly. He's got this speech that's garbage in content and it went it went, went over flat in delivery. Even Chris Matthews was embarrassed for Obama in terms of his speech. His desire to wag the dog in Syria failed or is probably going to fail and a leak is coming out about our involvement in Syria in advance of getting the approval of other members of the so-called G8 uh, from the United Nations. Any of those people has has veto power. Putin seems poised to veto our involvement. Why? Because he doesn't believe the evidence about the chemical weapons, so he says. Or maybe he, you know, he might believe it. I mean, I, you can't trust Putin. But I don't know. Think about this, right? Uh, who had the information about the Boston Marathon jihadists? Russia. Russia gave us that information and we didn't pick up the scent. You know, we we investigated a little bit. We gave up. Those guys killed and maimed tons of people at the Boston Marathon this year. Uh, Russia gave us that information. We didn't do anything. So maybe we trust Putin when he says there really isn't any evidence about this chemical stuff. And it could be that Obama just has agreements with Britain and France with regard to getting involved with Syria, that they'll just go along with whatever he wants. I mean, who knows what kind of Chicago-style politics he pulls on the international stage. I don't know. But I would tend almost to, to trust Putin more. Now, Putin, why would you want to arm Assad? I have no idea. Maybe just for money because your regime is collapsing so horribly that you just out and out need the money and you don't really care who you sell weapons to. That's probably it for Putin. That's what I would say. It's some sort of monetary interest. Um, now, Flycatch in the chat room is saying something about Ronald Reagan, and I don't understand what it is, but it reminds me of one thing that I thought was interesting, which is that when Reagan spoke, and I believe it was 1987 in Berlin, he spoke at the west side. And Obama spoke on the east side. Now, he said he chose to speak on the east side, I guess because of the significance of it now being free or things like that. I don't, I don't know if I would have done that. Um, I wanted to end just a little bit with one bit of good news. Rob Abiera posted on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook a trailer, a link to the trailer of the new Steve Jobs biopic. I think it's just called Jobs. And yes, it has Ashton Kutcher in it. Ew. Most of the time we say ew. But I saw the trailer. I thought not bad. I actually got emotional because I was thinking about Steve Jobs again. So it might actually be decent for what it's worth. Um, we're at the end of the hour. Next week it's going to be a two-hour show starting at noon Pacific time. If you want to 
just keep up during the week. Follow me on Twitter, Amy Peekoff, or you can go to the Don't Let It Go on Her page on Facebook. If you have a comment on this show, go to DontLetItGo.com where you can leave a comment on the post corresponding to this show. Uh, at the bottom of that post, you can also find a link to contribute to the podcast, and that will actually get you MP3 recordings of all of my Tammy Bruce fill-ins, including all the interviews that I did, if you're interested. So thank you very much. Uh, The most important thing, though, that you can do about this show, if you want to support it, contribute, is spread the word about it. If you like the show, tell your friends. It's a word-of-mouth kind of operation. My mouth is only so big. So thanks, everybody. Have a good evening. Talk to you next week.